<laughs> having an apartment and a decent job isn't being grown up. And I've, I've been thinking about that for a long time is that, you know, in America, we don't have initiation rituals. There's no like day when they sit you down and they're like, all right, you're a man now. So go kill that raging three-legged bull over there. Right. And it's crazy because you meet people who are graduated from college and still really seem like children. Oh yeah. Oh dude. They never actually became adults. Dude, you so you noticed this too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What uh what does it look like out there? Cuz I know what it looks like here and it is not pretty. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't I don't interact with too many uh too many fresh college graduates, but uh just generally um you you've people who are very self-directed and sort of self-sufficient and they're usually feel like adults by the time they're 18, but then you have people who graduate from college and they still have absolutely no idea what, what it means to like actually live on your own and be an adult and have responsibilities. And they're pretty much still just like college, college students, like they're freshmen basically, but they're 25. What happened to us, George? What happened? What would you blame this, this man, baby, uh, this this man child or adult child uh, syndrome on well i think part of it is certainly that it's gotten harder and harder to go out on your own and establish yourself i mean when you look at the comparison of wages to cost of living increases in the past 50 years it's a lot harder you know age 20 to move out on your own and like start a family and live somewhere and that's not under a bridge. And so there's a lot of safety and security in just like maintaining your childhood because if you still are a child, then you don't feel bad about still living in your parents' basement. Hey, I take that personally, though I will say, <laughs> I will say moving back to the parents' basement was like a, it was a good call. I think because well, I, I mean, was, when the alternative's Austin, yes, absolutely. This is true. And rent prices are, cra um, prices and everything are crazy right now, but like rent prices are insane. And it's like, Okay, so I, st I stopped describing living in my parents' basement and I started saying I was living on the family estate because <laughs> that, <laughs> that's, that feels like a sufficient reframe for the amount of uh, maturing I've done while living here. It's very interesting because uh, especially when I was out on my own in Austin, like I was not growing up at all. Like it, it was a very serious um, process that initiated my grow up, growing up phase down there uh, and that was the trauma of living in that city. And coming back here and, and getting my shit together and, like, actually making some waves in my life, uh, that was all a personal decision, but there was nothing in the culture encouraging me to do that. It was entirely like, I'm fed up with, with having stupid answers to every question, so I'm just going to find out what the real answers are and do some digging, and I think that's, that's a little bit of a, of like a, I don't know. In modernity, it's hard to say what what would be like the beginning of a of a like an adulthood initiation. Do you think we have anything at all that could compare to how things used to be? Hmm. I mean, nothing is immediately springing to mind because I mean, there are certainly things which are now expected, which absolutely should not be things happening before one's an adult like you know signing off for a hundred thousand dollars of student loans oh lord certainly shouldn't be trusting a child to make a decision like that and yet we do yeah um true. so like i feel like we're putting it society sort of puts a lot of 
choices that should only be given to someone who is a mature mature and has reached some sort of adulthood on people who are still more or less children. But yeah, I feel like also that the childhood thing is being intentionally prolonged and lengthened. I mean, look at how many grown ass men are, you know, soy jack over action figures. It's true. It's true. It's, it's a conversation that I think needs to be ongoing because, um, you know, it's, it's, it was one thing going through college when everyone was a man hater. Um, and then coming out of college and being like, wait, what am I a man now? Like, am I no longer a boy? And then, you know, having to disentangle myself from the programming that came along with, uh, you know, hating a particular gender and feeling like everything was, was weighed against me, you know, like deprogramming that was really, really difficult. But, you know, like the reason I, I hung on to you so long and so, so <laughs> easily was because you were like, you kind of looked like a grown up. You kind of talked like a grown up, uh, but you were just 18 when we first met. And, I mean, there was something that I sensed that I was like, oh, geez, this guy's got, like, real culture baked into him, and I want some of that because, you know, where I was raised in the Midwest, we just don't, we just don't have, like, culture outside of, like, Chicago architecture tours. Um, ah, yes, the bean. Ugh. Yeah, but it's like, you know, this is a conversation I would like to have, um, <laughs> You know, because I got some ideas, but I also have some ideas about how to get out of the child mentality zone. Um, and a lot of people just don't realize that they're like that, you know? you know, I remember, maybe we've talked about this, but I remember growing up, there were men who used to scare me just because they were so, like, masculine. Like, when I was a little kid, like, my uncle, for example, just a, I mean, dude has a voice like sandpaper, always wore a huge mustache, like... Oh, yeah, it's all about the mustache. Yeah, tough guy. I know you got one right now, right? I, I do have Okay, a it looks pretty good, I will say. Um, but <clears throat> I was, I was going to say, like, my uncle used to scare me, but I never, but only in the way of, like, what are you? Like, you're unpredictable. You know, it was never in, like, a, a negative way. Um, he's, I mean, and now that I'm grown up, like, it's so cool to interact with him because he still has some of that, like, backcountry grit, you know? And it's it's really refreshing to be around because a lot of the people I ge I generally see on a day to day basis, you know, um, they don't have that. And a lot of people try to replace it with like working out and stuff, but I don't think working out is it. I think working is it. Because um, there's plenty of gym bros who are still in this like consumerist like um, materialist way of viewing the world, even though they're ripped and everything. But you you know, when you meet somebody who's like worked with their hands outside for a long time, like they've got that, that stellar edge, but you know, I don't know. I think, I feel like, but this isn't just about men. Like this is for everybody, you know, cause it's, it's interesting to see that the divergence in the kinds of women I talk to as well. Um, <laughs> talking to women, <laughs> you're getting imagine. married. You can't make those jokes anymore. <laughs> off limits foul play <laughs> oh man but yeah it's like it, it does feel like that and what's crazy is like it's like i got some feedback on the philip van Houten interview and people were like 
oh yeah, you know, I really like that guy. You know, who was that guy? And I'm like, he's a podcaster. You know, I was hoping he would start his stuff up so those again. Are, those are the magic words. He's a he's podcaster. A podcaster. <laughs> it's like he's a it pirate. It opens the doors. Yeah. Um, but there, there was one thing he said on that interview that that's just stuck with me. He's like, if you eat shit, read shit, and are shit, you talk shit, you say dumb shit, and you are a dumb shit. Like, something like that. And I was like, yeah, it really is about what you consume. And the conversations that people listen to, like, one of the things I, I can't stand about the new Joe Rogan, I, I can barely listen to his show anymore, um, is he just sits there and gets distracted now. I mean, I, I know you don't listen to this stuff, but all he does is, like, get distracted and change the subject. Um, and no, you know, no hate for him there. Like he's got his style. He's got an audience and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, the old Joe Rogan was curious. was like, yeah, tell me more about that. Let's dig a little deeper. And I, I don't know, maybe I feel like he's just getting a little bit, maybe he's, maybe I've never, I've never listened to Joe Rogan. So I don't, all I, all my information comes from memes. So Uh I'm assuming he just constantly pulls out his phone to like watch chimpanzee videos. (laughs) You're not far off. He has Jamie pull out his phone and put up a video of chimpanzees. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad we got the, the nuance there. Yeah, and, and we know Joe ain't listening to this, so that's all good. You know, we're just over here. I'm just over here, a little podcaster picking on the big guy, but I don't mean to pick. I'm just saying, like, I don't know what I am saying. Anyway, we actually have some business to get to, so maybe we should get to that. Um, how's your work going on uh, the banker the banker series? It progresses apace when I have time to work on it. I should have a lot of time this weekend, relatively, so I should be able to get that finished to record next week. Okay, and we we all know you're busy because the school year is fully in swing. It is indeed. And because, you know, we don't have 100 patrons, we just have several wonderful new ones, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a second. Um, you know, we still have to work ordinary jobs, so this is, you know, this is a fun side hustle and it you know pays a little bit thanks to those wonderful patrons and venmo donations and that sort of thing um someday we would like i mean i know i would like to do this and make enough money that i don't have to worry about it anymore um but you know that's a far off pipe dream i'm afraid though we inch ever closer um with these new people coming in uh but yeah so that's good to hear we'll be getting that episode going um it's interesting um, we should just do a talk a, briefly about the new patrons. Um, and if I miss anybody's name here, I'm sorry. Um, Patreon, Patreon's weird. It emails me when people sign up, but then people will drop out and it won't let me know. So I might be shouting out people who aren't even here anymore. But to the new guys, uh, Joe, Leland, IDG, Jeremy, Sands, and Bross. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the party. And thank you for so- supporting our podcasting pirate ship. We hope you're enjoying yourselves. And I guess that brings me to the other note I have in here, which you didn't understand. Um, the note is seagull bullshit. <laughs> I was curious. Well, the reason you don't know about it is because if I told you, you'd probably call me cringe and dumb or something like that and tell me not to do it and maybe quit the podcast. So I didn't tell you I was doing this, but I put together another uh, another reading. Like the machine stops. Because the machine stops is currently our most listened to piece of content we've ever produced. Not by like a, not by like a lot, but by like a few hundred plays. And, oh, this is what you were telling me about when I was in the car the other day. Yeah. 
The seagull thing. The seagull oh, thing. Okay, okay. So I got it. Yeah, I recorded a happy little story about a seagull spiritually ascending to becoming a teleporting time traveling master. As one does. <laughs> as one does. As one does. It's a classic tale. Of, it's called Jonathan. A tale as old as time, one it's, might say. A tale as old as time. It's, well, actually, it's only about 1970, but close enough. Um, it's called Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and it's a great story, but the Machine Stops was getting so popular, I was like, man, it's depressing as hell. I should do something that's nice and cute and kind of fun, but also, like, spiritually enlightening. So that's out for patrons only right now, and if you want to hear that, you can sign up for a month and then listen to it and then drop your patronage. I don't care what you do. Um, though it would be better if you came on in and gave us a couple bucks, you know. <laughs> uh, and stuck around. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, but yeah, that's what the seagull bullshit is. It's a great story, um, but it's just for patrons uh, right now. Potentially in the future, if I feel it's right, I'll put it on the main feed, but I have no idea how I could possibly connect a story about a seagull to a history podcast, so I'm probably not going to do it. <laughs> um, and other than that, uh, you know, one of the things we mentioned on the Banker episode, since we're talking about money is uh, Venmo notes. We haven't gotten any, which is kind of sad um, because I, I really do want to read some stuff from listeners on the show. So if you want to throw five bucks into Venmo and send it our way at we, at uh, WTADP um, with a little note, uh, we'll read it on the air. And if it's terrible, we'll bleep it out, but we'll still actually read it. <laughs> so if you want to get if you want to get on on that, I'm trying to encourage that because I think it could be a fun new segment to add. Just the uh, the super chats, you know. Yes. Yeah, do you still not entirely clear on what a super chat is? But we'll okay. just leave that to the side. You know, you don't want super chats, George. Don't you want to get paid? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, my needs are met. Like. I'm a simple man of simple tastes. Yes, but we want to run our own pirate then ship again, here. The price of nicotine pouches has been going up there, lately. There you so. go. Everybody send George uh, $5 to pay for his nicotine pouches, which I just... Oh, wow. Sorry, I'm looking, I'm looking at the audacity thing, and you could really hear when I just opened that tin of nicotine pouches. <laughs> like, that was a crisp spike in the sound. How nice. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, please fund George's... And there's nic- the closing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> please fund George's <laughs> nicotine addiction with a uh, Venmo chat at WTADP. Anything helps. And if you don't, if you don't send it, he's just going to degenerate and start picking up half-smoked cigarettes off the street and lighting those up with a flint and steel, which we don't want to uh, see that. Don't remind me of my time in Indiana. <laughs> it almost got that bad, didn't it? Ugh. It did. It did. And if you ask nicely, I will translate your super chat into Latin and then read it on air. Ooh, that's even better. I like that. I w- so just Latin or can we do other languages? Um, Too much Latin, ask. Could do German. I can't guarantee the grammatical accuracy if I try to do Russian. It's been a while. It's kind of rusty. Mm, no Greek. Um, could do Greek. Yeah, you know, hit me up. Yeah, send it in, and we'll translate <laughs> it to Latin, and then you can feel good knowing that George is getting a little nicotine buzz every time we record an episode, because I just learned that he pops one in his 
mouth every time we do this. One. Uh, one. <laughs> I've got that, three in right is now. Is that a threat? Three? <laughs> yeah, I've got three nicotine pouches right now. How come you don't sound like a hamster? Or a chipmunk? You know. I don't know. I mean, I can put a fourth one in. We could just like... <laughs> I could just keep putting them in until you can tell. He eats nicotine pouches like Skittles. You know, it's like that scene in the King's Speech where he has to put all the marbles in his mouth and try to talk. <laughs> yeah, part two is going to be a banger. <laughs> Coming in hot, talking De- about... Demosthenes the- with the pebbles. Yeah. Athens. You're going to be talking about the bankers with nicotine pouches in your mouth and a prayer in your heart. <laughs> Gosh, this show is such bullshit. I love it. <laughs> well, we do have a main topic that I I actually was talking to Mark um, from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, and he had this great idea um, because the, the show has changed, and we were having a great conversation about it because he's actually gone back and listened to our show, dude. Like, he's been hitting it up. He really likes history, but he also doesn't like intensity in his history all the time so he thinks the well, that's good because we're kind of retarded yeah well we are but that's the thing is like he likes the comedic edge so that's super cool but he had a recommendation he was like yeah you know i see after the uh the uh nazi ufo like flat earth episode like all that stuff he's like you should probably talk about why conspiracy lines up with history so much and i think that that's a good idea because definitely our show is different because we're not just telling back like the mainstream take on history we're definitely trying to like get to the bottom of some things and maybe learn some some lessons from history and this is another thing this is kind of off topic i guess but i'm just looking at all the errors um the leaders of the free world have been making for the last couple of years um (laughs) such an old-fashioned phrase leaders of the free world um i know that's 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 archaic like man and i can't decide if they're dumb or evil and i kind of waffle between the two i'm like wow that was like really evil what that guy just said right there doesn't he know that in history the same thing happened here and it played out this way and then i thought about it and i'm like well maybe it's not evil maybe they're just stupid maybe they just don't know any history at all and that's going to be another conversation i'm going to try to bring in a little bit more with as we do more interviews um we're going to we're going to be talking about like the importance of understanding the story of history, what it is and what it can teach you. But definitely like when I started getting into like conspiracy stuff, it tied in very nicely with my study of history. Uh they're like they're like uh weird half brothers in a way. What do you think? I'm unsure. Can you riff on that a little bit and what you mean about half brothers? Well, like, history really is just a, a, it's like a documented record of a bunch of conspiracies. Like, people, when they conspire to do something together, uh, it creates a conspiracy. And if it's done in the shadows, it creates conspiracy theories where people are like, well, what really was the motivation of the Kaiser and, you know, World War One, Or, you know, why did, um, you know, the, uh, the, the Tsar and Tsarina in, in World War, uh, at the beginning of the you know, communist revolution in Russia, why were they so into esotericism? What was Rasputin doing with them behind the scenes? Like, what was going on there? And the fact that there's no, like, no clear answer makes you want to theorize about what was really happening. 
right? Does that make sense? Okay, I'm tracking, I'm tracking. Okay, so you see how they'd be tied up like half-brothers or something? Why not full brothers? Well, I guess they are full brothers in a way then. I mean, it's just terminology, but... Well, why would you say they're full brothers? I don't know, I guess it's... Are they... Because, you know, half-brothers means they're descended only partially from the same thing, whereas I'm not convinced that, uh, you know, history and quote-unquote conspiracy don't have the same parents. Yeah, you know, and that's why I think you might be right. I, I have to ask the question, though, so who are their parents? Mm. What do you think? Well... And I mean, this is just me sort of spitballing as a as a person who studies historiography. The idea of history is simply the reporting of facts is extremely novel. That really only exists very, very recently. The idea that, well, you get the facts and you line them up and that's that's history because the idea of being able to actually just get a bunch of data is very, very new. Like if you're doing 20th century history, sure, you've got... You've got your census records. You've got newspaper archives. You've got everything. You can compile a pretty complete set of data for something in the 20th century. You just couldn't do that in the past. And you can't do that about things that happened in the past, even if you're writing history now. And so history used to be viewed much more as a way to present events such that they provide guidance or a lesson. I mean, one of the the greatest Roman historian, Livy, even said that history is uh, history is society's medicine. It mm. provides examples of good things that they should emulate and examples of bad things that they should avoid. Because nobody, nobody even thought of the idea of we can get a complete and scientifically accurate recounting of something in the past. Because, you know... It just doesn't exist. Like we we know that we know events, we know people, we know some of the details, but the idea of history is just kind of a scientific putting together data is very, very new as opposed to history as sort of an art form that's designed to prevent or sorry, present events from the past in a way that is beneficial to society. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I think that's really well said. And so, so I'd say in that case, the parents would sort of be on one hand, the parents would be. I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to put it into one word, like the reality of events that happened in the past, because if you write a completely fictional history. You're not going to fool people like if you try, if, you know, if you're writing or if you're a Roman, and you're writing history and you write about how something you know and then the people from atlanta settled rome everyone in rome knows that didn't happen rome was founded by romulus and remus well r.i.p in peace <laughs> um but like it's got to have some relation to what actually is in the collective consciousness and memory it's got to have some relation to the past like if i wrote a book right now about how the greatest american hero was some guy who never existed in the 1800s people would be like no that's fake that's not real if i wrote a book about some guy people knew was real I could fill it with a lot of lies and they might not necessarily know, but it has to, it has to have some relation to the stuff that actually did happen. But then, so that's one parent. Then I guess the other parent is sort of a collective moral conscience of society where it has to instruct and guide society in a way that is relevant to current issues. 
Hmm. I think those are sort of the two parents of history is what happened in a scientific sense, but also what society needs at the time. That's really, really, really well said. Exactly. That's because I went from being a guy like, well, we have a documented linear timeline here that, you know, this is what happened and people should know. And then as I read more and more history, I'm like, it's not about like what happened. It's about what it does to you now. Right. So like a really inspiring story from history is good for you um, because it gives you an example to follow, right? And if you destroy um, or pervert in some, you know, some way or another uh, the moral aspect of history, um, you sort of lose almost all of the value. Uh, I heard something very interesting recently. Somebody explained to me what a what conscience was. Um, and when you, you started talking about the collective conscience or unconscious or whatever um conscience it like literally means common sense and the common sense you know is what we all know and common sense people complain they're like, oh there's no common sense anymore it's like no we have a common sense but the values are all crazy um so yeah i'm really glad you sort of brought that in because that is the one thing that i think really does marry history and conspiracy theory together um it's, uh, it's that, it's that, uh, the common consciousness of the time was part of what made what happened happen. Like there, I know I told you about it a couple of years ago, but there was a paper I was reading about, uh, conscious cities by this professor in Canada. And he was saying that even if people weren't aware of like what they were building during the Renaissance or, you know, whatever, uh, even if they weren't aware of it, they would just see that things like buildings, beautiful buildings would just sort of spring up around them. And they would just accept that that's, that's good. Like that's, that's what we do. We build beautiful buildings and we have stable societies and we try to take care of our people. And at some point in our history, all that got turned upside down. So now we just like, you know, worship ugliness and, and live in materialism. And we're like, the architecture sucks, but we don't know why. And I think it's because the collective conscience the common sense is perverted now and I, I don't like mean perverted in one way i mean like perverted in a dozen million different ways <laughs> what do you think well yeah i mean and that's i feel like is the root of a lot of problems is that society has very little that is actually held in common anymore mm-hmm. there's very little that is a sort of shared not even not even to go so far as saying shared moral framework, but even a shared perception of reality. There's yeah. very little that everyone is on the same page about. Yeah, and I think that's... Even at a very sort of abstract level. I think that's why we have the phenomenon of clown world, right? Like, it's... it's Sam calls it clown town, which makes me laugh. <laughs> it's just funnier than clown world for some reason. But it just seems like everybody's got a different idea about what we need to be doing now. And in the past, it was just understood that, like, you had societal obligations. You were supposed to either work hard or uh, study hard or become something. And now it's like you can be it's like uh, browsing Netflix and not being able to pick a movie. But the difference is, like, instead of we have tons of options, but most of them suck and involve getting into debt or, you know, losing your shirt. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know if that's necessarily good for society, but. I have here a rare book that I picked up 
in some antiquated bookshop in Wisconsin. And it's called Historical Consciousness or the Remembered Past. It's by this guy, I think it's Lucas. Lucas? Lucas? John Lucas. I'm saying that wrong, but I don't care. It's spelled weird. Um, and basically, he's talking about how <clears throat> European and American history um, became sort of a little more interested in recording the actual events and building something like a timeline. But there was like a point in, in every society where somebody was like, we got to be writing this shit down. And then they started and then they realized they couldn't really go that far back. They had like personal interviews with people who were there, written manuscripts, you know, uh, paintings and tapestries and cave paintings and all kinds of things that they could sort of draw from. But the further you look into the past, the less and less clear the picture becomes. You lose resolution. And so in that sense, like we are living in like HD world right now where everything's quite clear, but like, you know, everybody's got something to say and the screen is, you know, democratized or whatever. But if you look further in the past, you have to have things like uh, myths, which, you know, are sort of low resolution. Uh, well, no, that's not right either. They're like vector graphics. You can sort of blow them up and see that, see the mythical story um, in the present day or in, in, in a, a historical account. I don't know. Is any of that making sense? I'm not sure what a vector graph is. So. Oh, so like if you got a JPEG and mm -hmm. you blow it up, it gets like pixelated, right? Yeah. A vector graphic, it will never get pixelated. You can blow it up as big as you want and it will stay just as sharp because it's now I'm getting to territory I don't understand. I just know that JPEGs and uh, PNGs and all these things, they work on pixels and vector graphics work on, like, math in some way. <laughs> it sounds so stupid okay, saying Okay, so it's like graphing a function. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. I, I suppose. I'm not an expert, but I do work with both in my current job, and it's always nice to have a vector graphic because you can make it any size you want. You don't have to worry about uh, the picture becoming unclear. But I think I think myth is more like a like a like a vector graphic and history as we understand it is like a jpeg that we're constantly losing pixels on i don't know this makes me sound so out there uh but that's okay i've been on my family thinks i'm crazy so i'm good <laughs> <laughs> oh and by the way he's coming on to our show i know i told you this we just got to set up a we just got to set up a time to talk about the history of skull and bones Ooh, that's exciting yeah should be very interesting he's just the man for the job too um because that, that's something that, you know, I personally have, like, no... Does he, in fact, have a skull and some bones? I don't think he has the skull or the bones, but... So he's an invertebrate. <laughs> <laughs> Are you suggesting Mark Steves is a bug? <laughs> I'm just saying, you just said he didn't have a skull or bones, so I'm just drawing conclusions from that. I've seen him on camera. I can, I can assure you he at least has everything above the pelvis. I don't know if he has no legs. <laughs> they took his leg bones, and that's why he's going after them. <laughs> Mark, well, I guess you got to get the bones from somewhere. Mark is on the warpath. God, I hope he listens to this. That would be so funny. <laughs> Wow, that'll be our first invertebrate guest <laughs> that we know of. That we know of. Though I felt like Howdy was like like a ethereal ancient ghost, so he doesn't have any bones either. He's got like Yeah, it's probably true. We need to have him back on too. I really like that dude. 
Um, but he like disappeared from the internet for a while, so I was like, I'll just give him some space. But he's about to release a new book, um, which is about death. Uh, and I'd love, Ooh. I'd love to hear what he's what he's thinking these days, because he's just such an interesting character. And you know, he's like, he's like way out there, and definitely more into like the history conspiracy zone. But like, I, I kind of admire how he thinks. Um, and it was really fun talking to him. I think we could probably just have a conversation with him about um, his new book, but also, like, generally other things going on in the world and have a great time um, without even getting into the World's Fair. Because one thing that's interesting about him is that people pegged him as the World's Fair guy, and that was all they got out of him. And I think we talked about it for, like, 45, 50 minutes, and then we got into some other topics which were way more interesting. Um, At least that's how I felt. And then, of course, Squadcast screwed us on the first recording, so we had to call him oh, back in. Yeah. I, f- oh, I forgot about that. That was, that was so, very annoying. That was so awful. Um, but yeah. Squadcast. Ugh. Now we have Zoom. A, a pox be upon a it. A pox be upon it. It's probably gone by now. I mean, how do you invent a platform that doesn't do the one thing it's supposed to do, which is record the audio from everybody there? <laughs> Unbelievable. But yeah, I think we're going to definitely on speaking. So. To tie this all together, as far as conspiracy theory and history goes, moving forward, I would definitely expect us to sort of, or at least me, dig in a little deeper um, into theories about what happened and historiography in general, because our understanding of history, at least the one that's trained to us, is that events happened, and it doesn't matter why and you don't need to learn anything. And stop looking over there. You're not allowed to look at that one. Quit that. You pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Truer than you think. Um, you know, it's like, a, there's so much going on in the world right now that can only be understood understood if you have the historical context. You have to know why we're in this. You know? And the history we're given, just like everything else, has been dumbed down or changed or propagandized or or whatever um weaponized even to make people less critical and dumber uh and i think the number one thing that's you know the reason they can't people are getting curious now which is why they're making all quiet on the western front for netflix um and it doesn't appear to have at least not initially any anything weird going on that doesn't have anything to do with the story. But, you know, when you go into the comment section and people are saying they should have done Storm of Steel instead, uh, you know we're reaching a different cultural paradigm. Am I, I mean, Storm of Steel would just be a more interesting series. Oh, I 100% like, agree. All Quiet on the Western Front's going to be, what, half Eric Marie Remark crying in a corner? Well, yeah, I, that's, I think that's the, the reason they went with it is because it's, that's the that's the objective of the book is like let's feel sad about this thing that happened instead of investigating it and figuring out why it happened and storm of steel is just like i mean it's a real account like it's the guy the guy was there and i know remark was too but like he had to novelize it for some reason right like that doesn't make any yeah. sense to me why couldn't he just write about what he saw you know and i was I almost texted my brother. I didn't. I didn't send it to him. Like, ah, yes, they picked uh, "All Quiet on the Western Front" over "Storm of Steel" because one gives them an excuse to show off uh, cute French girls topless, 
and the other doesn't. <laughs> Which you know they're just going to shove all that shit in there. They yeah, Storm of Steel gives you a chance to show off, like, beating people to death with a shovel. And holding a holding a open bullet wound <laughs> while you run, because when you breathe, it spurts blood. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. It's such a good book. Um, I was actually surprised to find it in the uh, Chicago train station down at Ogilvy. Oh, really? Yeah. It's kind of cool. That was cool. It was right there on the top shelf. I'm like, shit, good. This is good. Storm of Steel's a good book, and more people need to know about it. And far too many people read All Quiet on the Western Front without realizing it's fiction, which is interesting. But, like, All Quiet on the Western Front was my favorite piece of war fiction until I read Storm of Steel, which isn't fiction, but it was my favorite, like storytelling bit about World War One. Um well that and oh there's that other mo that Peter Jackson movie. Um what was that called? They shall not be forgotten. Oh yeah, I never saw Something it. Something like that. Where they colorized all the old World War One footage and put in sound effects and voices and it looks awesome. I never saw that either, but that that kind of stuff is super important and I really admire Peter Jackson for doing that. Because uh, that was just going to rot away. I mean, like, legitimately, like, film back then is, like, ultra-flammable. So a lot of it's just lost. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard the story about um, one of the... I can't remember which one it was, but one of the old production houses out in Hollywood had a big fire. And they lost, like, a year's worth of filming or something. like Something crazy. I don't remember the details. Yeah, I remember. That. I was once at a, um, a showing of an old movie. Uh, like, a movie from the 40s. I don't remember what the movie was. But the uh, the film actually caught fire during the projection. Really? Yeah. And so then they had to get they had to someone had to you know cut off the burned parts and uh, melt the ends back together. It's like all right, we're two minutes ahead of where we were when that caught fire. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. But so like I'm I'm really glad Peter Jackson did that because um, World War One is it's just one of those unanswered questions about history. Um, but it's one, like, you can look at that so easily from a conspiracy theory or a theoretical point of view. How the hell did this happen? And everyone's like, oh, Bismarck in real politic or whatever. Like, and he had a system and like Dan Carlin even did that on his, his podcast, which was excellent. But you know, it's still like, there's 10 different ways you can come at this story and we've settled on one. Um, but that's. Anyway, so I guess my, my main point is that, yeah, we're going to be analyzing things from a more critical point of view, and that might involve some theorizing. Um, but I, th I think we might have graduated to the level where we can make theories. Yes? No? <laughs> oh, come on. You know it'll be fun. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Five yeah, it'll be fine. Is five if five years long enough? <laughs> five years long enough to get you to be a confirmed historical conspiracy theorist? I don't know. I mean, it uh, technically you could get a PhD in that time. So maybe it's true. Can you get a PhD in podcasting? Yeah, <laughs> that's all I want is a Aaron C. Doctor of Podcasting. <laughs> Uh, Just think of all the uh, like graduations you'll get invited to speak at and stuff. I'll just go <laughs> up on the stage and be like, "We'll start by reading the super chats." <laughs> and I can just imagine, like, you know, as they're getting ready for the ceremony, they'll be like, "You know, who's a 
who's picking up the speaker from his hotel to be like, oh, no, he's in his car in the parking lot. That's where he lives. <laughs> he's been out there for like three days now. <laughs> he, he lives in his car. It's fine. <laughs> you know, the, the little uh, the roof racks are just like stacks of books strapped down to the top. There's a microphone in the trunk. Uh, I was going to say, you, you get out, you like take this, you take, you pull off the seat cover and that, that was actually your academic robe. You're just using it as a seat cover. <laughs> I could just <laughs> put it on. You're like, I'm ready, ready to roll. I could just imagine you climbing out of a car and just like a wave of nicotine pouches flowing out after you. And you're just like covered in them. That'd be pretty funny. That, and uh, I don't know. Um, maybe some weapons or defused mortar shells. <laughs> Did did I do the old mortar shell gag when you came to my house? Absolutely. Yeah, we've told the story on the show. For those of you who don't know, he did throw a mortar shell at me when I entered his room, and I didn't know if it was live or not. (laughs) Neither do I. That's true. That's true. That's the funniest part. It doesn't appear to have ever been defused, but it is from World War One. So by now, the explosives should be inert. Yeah, but still, there. Or highly volatile yeah. and, and, you know, liable to go off at any time. Either one, really. So you're telling me there's one a the chance. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Well, we've jabbered on long enough. I think we'll we'll be getting another episode out pretty soon. And uh, if you want to listen to the seagull story, haha, um, and some other cool stuff we put on Patreon, join up. It's two bucks minimum. I mean, I guess you can give one dollar, but then you don't get any kind of title or anything like that. Um but yeah, you know, like this is fun. We're still going and, you know, stay subscribed to the show. Uh, what else should I say? I guess I don't really have anything else. George, do you have any final words for the listeners? If you've got any wacky or zany ideas for things I should suggest to the people planning my wedding, which will inevitably ignored, please let me know and I will suggest them. <laughs> In Latin? Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, we'll be back at you with another, with the conclusion to the bank, the Medici, I keep saying banker episode, the Medici series. And then after that, I've got an episode lined up that should be a total blast. It's going to be out there, but we've, we've sufficiently laid the groundwork by having, uh, my family think some crazy crossovers and all that good stuff. And we're, we're in the safe zone now. I assume the massive listeners who came in uh, is cool with just about anything. So we're really going to just go off the chain now. <laughs> You've been warned. Can't wait. <laughs> All right. We will see you next time. And we'll let the sound of what, George? What should we, what should we let them listen to on the way out? Uh, trying to think of something that's not inappropriate. <laughs> um, Sorry, all the things that popped into my head were inappropriate. Venmo, Venmo at WTADP to, to give us suggestions for outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just give us a super chat suggesting an outro. Yeah, super Venmo. Uh, we'll let the sound of George and Aaron's incompetence play you out. Brilliant. Brilliant.